Test. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to get started here. Invite everyone to come on back into the service. Come on back into the sanctuary. Amen. That's some good visiting that was going on there. The bridals are here today. I thought... I thought Phyllis only came when his, her husband was preaching. That was interesting. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome, everyone watching online today. So glad to have you with us today. Um, I'm going to... Uh, uh, I'd like to, to try and answer the question today. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? <laughs> um, this, is, this has actually been kind of a, a volatile issue among the different religions in the world. Um, there's five contenders, okay? Five contenders. Number one, the Romans. Were the Romans responsible for killing Jesus? Right, we know that Israel was under the oppressive thumb of the Romans. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. He actually gave the final word for Jesus to be crucified, and the Romans carried out a Roman crucifixion. Okay? Maybe it would be number two, the Jews. Were the Jews responsible? Right? They were the ones shouting, crucify when Pilate was hesitating. They even had an, an opportunity to release Jesus at one point, but they chose to release Barabbas, a criminal, instead. Some might say it's the Jewish religious leaders. This is number three. They schemed to kill Jesus. They recruited Judas. They supplied the blood money. Some might say it was Satan. Was it the devil? Would the devil have done anything to get Jesus off this planet? Luke 22 says that Satan entered the heart of Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Maybe it was the devil. And some people might say it was mankind. Was it us? Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. You know, I truly believe the answer to that question is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And examining all of the events that transpired leading up to Jesus' arrest I think brings us to an undeniable truth that clearly answers that question, who killed Jesus? And I'm believing that truth is going to bring us to a deeper understanding this morning of Easter, why we celebrate Easter, and it's going to bring us a deeper understanding of the love of God. How many of you are ready to go deeper into the love of God this morning? Anybody? Amen. Let's do that. God, I just thank you so much for 
your presence in this place. I thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done, for being here, for loving us, for your son. And God, I just pray that you just continue to minister, continue to be here, continue to speak to us as, as we look at your word this morning, Lord. And, and I just pray that, that we hear your voice today, that that's the voice that we're here for. We're here for the voice of the Lord today. And no matter where we're at in our relationship with you, might, we might not have even thought of you for the last uh, little bit, long while, maybe even our whole lives, but you still have a special, specific word for each one of us today. And so I just pray that, that we will hear that word today, that we'll hear that voice today. And I just, I just declare that nothing is going to prevent us from hearing the voice of Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's begin. We're going to kind of be going all throughout the Gospels here. Um, I, if you want to go to John chapter 18, we're, we're primarily going to be in, in John. But, uh, but let's begin in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verses 39 to 44. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So we have to understand, at this point, Jesus is under incredible, incredible emotional stress. See, Jesus knows the book of Isaiah. Jesus knows the scripture regarding the Messiah. He knows that he's about to become the sin of the world. Right? Jesus knows that for the first time in all of eternity, because he's becoming sin, that his communion with his Father is going to be broken for the first time ever. And he knows that he's going to be broken. He knows that he's going to be marred, that he's going to be disfigured beyond that of any man and even beyond human likeness or recognition, the Bible says. He knows what's coming. In Matthew's account, Jesus is recorded saying at this moment, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. How many of you know that Jesus didn't exaggerate? How many of you know that Jesus wasn't dramatic? But the weight of what is to come is absolutely stretching Jesus to his absolute limits to where he's actually at the edge of death. It's to the point that, that it's induced the medical condition called hematidrosis that caused him to actually sweat blood. But even in this emotional trauma, Jesus prays himself into God's will, yet not my will, but yours be done. But, but the first thing I want us to see here, the first thing, that we need to understand is that Jesus has a choice. He always had a choice. 
And it's at this moment when he's praying himself into the will of God, it's at this moment that Jesus makes the final decision to go to the cross. And then if we go into John chapter 18. John 18 in verse 1 to 3. Shortly after this, Jesus was arrested. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrive at the olive grove. Okay, and so first of all, I just want us to get a picture of, of this. When, when we're in children's church and, and the children's church teacher is telling us this story and, and shows us illustrations, in those pictures we often see there's maybe a handful of soldiers that are coming to arrest Jesus. Okay, anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, but, but we need to know what that word contingent Okay, that word contingent, it describes a military group of anywhere from 300 to 600 soldiers. Okay, so there was, there was at least that many soldiers, but there was also then the temple guards. The temple guards were like the police, the police officers of, of the temple grounds. And so once a judgment was given in the religious court, it was the responsibility of the temple police to execute those judgments, okay? So they reported to the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin. Matthew 26, it says that Judas brought with him a great multitude to arrest Jesus, okay? So so we need to picture this. There, There were hundreds, there were hundreds of soldiers and, and temple guards, and so there should be. So there should be to arrest Jesus, right? He's been ministering for three years now, right? Just think for a second, what could Jesus Christ do in three years, right? So, so, so rumors of his miraculous power it has gone viral, right? And, 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 and everyone has heard about the amazing displays of God's power that Jesus demonstrated. John 21, 25 says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did so much more in those three years than we could possibly know that was ever actually recorded. And Judas was eyewitness to many of those miracles. Judas would have prepared them for the worst, right? Judas actually saw Jesus escape supernaturally from a crowd before. Do you remember when Jesus was at his own hometown, right? And they got mad at what he was saying. They're going to throw him over the cliff. And all of a sudden, Jesus escapes, supernaturally slips through the crowd. However God decided to do that, however Jesus decided to do that, maybe he was invisible, but it was supernatural. Judas witnessed this. Judas was there when they're trying to throw him off the the crowd and 
And he, just like everyone else, is like, where'd Jesus go? So I would guess that Judas probably thought that they didn't bring enough men. And the truth is, they could not have brought enough men. 2 Kings 6 says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What an awesome promise that no matter how big the enemy appears that's before us, it's never bigger than the enemy that's behind us. Amen? No matter how powerful the enemy may seem, you can overcome them because in 1 John 4, 4, it says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So even though there was hundreds of men, they still didn't have enough. The next two things that happen here are some of my favorite stories in the Bible. Don't you love Easter? John 18, four to six. This is incredible. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, he replied. they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. Look at verse six. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Let's try to understand what happened here. <laughs> Jesus said, I am he. And these soldiers fell backward to the ground. See, that word fell, it's the Greek word pipto. And it means to fall hard. It means to fall as if you're, you're a corpse. That's, that's what it means. Like you just fall hard. I can, I can relate to this word pipto. <laughs> I, the only way I know how to fall is hard. <laughs> and very ungraciously. You know in sports when someone falls, they just get back up again. Teammates just like, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. When I fall down, there's a crowd of people instantly around me. Are you okay, sir? And that's my own team. <laughs> anyway, so I, I understand this word tiptoe, right? Um, and and so, so let's understand, these men are not bowing down to Jesus, okay? But they're blasted, physically blasted off their feet, backwards to the ground, just by Jesus saying his name. He says, I am he. That's the same name that God calls himself in the Old Testament. How many of you know the great I am? Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh is I am the Lord who provides. Jehovah Nisi, I am the Lord, your banner, your victory. Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord, your healer. Jehovah said, can you, I am the Lord, your righteousness. 
One of my favorites is, I am the Lord who is there, Jehovah Shammah. How many of you know that he's there? Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is simply acknowledging who he is. He's saying, I am the one that you're looking for. I am the way maker. I am the God of miracles that you've heard about. I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the one who heals the brokenhearted. I am the one who sets the captives free and opens prison's doors. I am the one who turns mourning into dancing. I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. I am the one who's going to defeat sin and death on the cross. I am the one who's going to raise again three days later in resurrection power. I am the one true God. I am the one with all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth. I am the one that every knee and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. I am the great I am. And when Jesus declares, I am, power is released because there's power in the name of Jesus. And there's no army and there's no enemy that can stand in front of that power and not get knocked off their feet. That's the power of God. And listen, that's the power that Jesus could wield in the Garden of Gethsemane. What enemy is standing before you right now? I wonder if we, need, I wonder if we just need to declare the great I am in the circumstance. Declare the great I am in the battle. Pronounce the name of Jesus and knock that enemy on its a. S. S. Is it okay if we spell it? I'm just, I don't want to look at Brother Bridal right now. And then. Then in Mark chapter 14, okay, we see this, this random event in the garden, seemingly random, that I think is absolutely connected with, with what just happened with the soldiers. But let's read this. Mark 14, 51 to 52. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, it doesn't talk about this before, and it doesn't talk about this again after. These, these, these two verses of this, this naked boy that's following Jesus. Okay? You know, the only other reference we have for this type of cloth the boy's wearing is actually in the New Testament. Um, was, was the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in for burial. So when a, when a body was prepared for burial, it's washed, it's cleaned, it's, it's, it's buried naked in a linen cloth. And, and what's important to know and understand is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
is situated on, on the Mount of Olives. And, and at the base of that mount is a cemetery. And you can actually go there today. And, and there's still graves there all the way back to the first century. All the way back to this moment. And these graves were reserved for higher class individuals. Higher class people were always buried with a certain kind of cloth. And this linen cloth from Mark 14 that covers this, this naked boy, it's the same cloth they used to bury Jesus with. Right? And, and so this, there's no doubt that this boy is wearing a grave cloth. He just came out of a grave wearing his burial cloth. Now, if you ask me what happened... <laughs> How many of you know that Jesus has resurrection power? And when Jesus declared, I am, and he acknowledged who he was, that resurrection power blasted out of him, impacted everything around him to the point that it didn't just knock those soldiers on their butts, but it raised this boy from the grave. So the boy is brought back to life. He, he walks out of the tomb, probably trying to figure out what just happened. He's, he hears the commotion. He sees the light from all the torches. So now he's following Jesus, trying to figure out, you know, who is this? What, what just raised, what was this power that raised me back to life? And the last thing that the chief priests and the Pharisees wanted at this time was another miracle, right? They, they, they're arresting Jesus. They want to shut up this Jesus business for good. And so they try to grab this boy, but all they get is the cloth. And now this boy is running around the garden naked. <laughs> Let's keep going in John, John 18, 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Luke twenty-two fifty-one, and Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. First of all, I like Peter. I think we need more friends like Peter. You know? There's no one else that walked on water, water besides Jesus but Peter. Peter was willing to get out of the boat. Right? And when his friend's in trouble, what does Peter do? He fights for him. Right? Now, in this situation, he's trying to stop Jesus from saving all of us. So, Peter, you shouldn't have done that. Okay, but, but I like Peter, but, but anyway, that's beside the point. I believe Jesus saved two lives in this, in this situation <clears throat> um, uh, by healing Malchus. So <clears throat> just a little background information on Malchus. So Malchus is, he's the servant, he's the personal assistant of the high priest Caiaphas. Okay, or for some of you, he's the assistant to the regional manager. He's Malchus Schrute. Okay, if that helps anybody. So Caiaphas was, was a member of the Sadducees. Okay, and the Sadducees is a sect that opposed the reality of the supernatural. They, don't, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They believed all of the, 
the stories of the Old Testament were, were legend and myth. This is the Sadducees. This is Caiaphas. Okay? And, and Malchus was directly under. So Malchus basically lived in legalism, and he lived in unbelief. Okay? And so by healing Malchus, Jesus revealed who he really was to Malchus. He showed Malchus that he's the real deal, that, 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 that the supernatural power of God is real, that, that everything Jesus heard about Malchus is actually true. Sorry, about Jesus is actually true, right? He showed Malchus that, that he's not his enemy. He showed Malchus that he came to save Malchus too. And when he touched Malchus, and, and healed his ear. He took the pain away. He healed his emotional trauma. I'm sure that'd be traumatic, having your ear cut off and see it on the ground. He restored what was lost. And I, I really believe that when Jesus touched Malchus, I really believe it made Malchus whole. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, when she reached out and touched the cloak, she wasn't just physically healed, but she was made whole. And, and, and please understand, this is my personal opinion, but I believe that that touch changed Malchus forever. How many of you have been changed forever by the touch of the Lord? Hallelujah. And so I believe that after that encounter, I believe Malchus would have come to faith in Jesus. The second person that Jesus saved in that moment was Peter. So Peter surely would have been killed for that act. But by taking the time to heal Malchus, what Jesus did is he justified Peter. He made it just as if Peter didn't cut the ear off in the first place. He made it so no one could accuse Peter of that act. Right? Like, Peter, you just cut his ear off. Prove it. <laughs> <laughs> his ears back on the side of his head, right? And so Peter was destined to be arrested and imprisoned and, and surely executed. Jesus changed his future. How many of you know that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross? We had the same fate, same fate as Peter. We're guilty in sin. We're facing death. But then Jesus justified us. He made it just as if we never sinned in the first place by washing us clean with the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. No one can accuse us now. Our sin is completely gone. He freed us from guilt and the penalty of sin. What a savior. What a savior. What a savior. Amen. That's something to get excited about. How many of you are justified this morning? Turn to someone and say, I'm justified. And say it with a little bit of an attitude, though. I'm justified. Did you hear? I'm justified. And then in Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 to 53... Jesus reprimands Peter a little bit. <laughs> he says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 
So how many angels is Jesus talking about there? Well, that word legion, again, it's a military term. And, and, and one legion denotes a group of at least 6,000 soldiers, right? So 12 legions, that's 72,000 angels. Remember, Jesus is the great I am. He's also Jehovah Sabaoth. I am the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the commander of heaven's angelic army. At any given time, Jesus could have had more than 72,000 angels surrounding him. Remember in 2 Kings, in verse 19, it talks about how one angel of the Lord put to death 185,000 men. One angel did that in one night, killed 185,000 men. So one angel kills 185,000. What are 72,000 angels going to do? They could have wiped out all of mankind if Jesus commanded it. Right? Not just those few hundred, but that's the power that Jesus had available to him. Right? Jesus didn't need Peter's little sword that night. Jesus had the power to destroy everyone in that garden, and the soldiers couldn't have done anything to stop that. At any moment, Jesus could have stopped this. He could have completely walked away at any moment. So let's remember, Jesus made the final decision to go to the cross. Just by saying his name, I am, Jesus blasted hundreds of armored men off their feet and and likely raised a boy from the grave just by saying his name. Then Jesus heals Malchus, showing that he's completely in control of everything that's happening, and he's not going to allow anything that's not supposed to happen to happen. That's what Jesus did in that moment. Right? Peter, this is not what I want. So I'm not going to allow this to happen. Here you go, Malchus. Here's, Here's your ear back. Right? At any given time, he could have called upon thousands and thousands of angels with the power to wipe out all of mankind if needed to protect him. This is the undeniable truth. This is the undeniable truth. Are you ready? The only way Jesus was arrested that night and the only way Jesus is going to go to the cross is because he allowed it to happen. That's it. No one could have forced Jesus on that cross. Look at John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my own life so that I may take it back. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down voluntarily. I'm authorized and have power to lay it down and to give it up, and I'm authorized and have power to take it back. This command I have received from my Father. This is the undeniable truth. The Romans did not kill Jesus. The religious leaders did not kill Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. The devil did not kill Jesus. Even our own sin did not kill Jesus. No one and nothing forced him on that cross, but Jesus laid down his life. 
Why would he do that? Why would he choose that? Why would he choose the cross? Why would he choose to become the sin of the world? Why would he choose to have broken communion with the Father? Why would he choose the humiliation and the shame and the spit and the ridicule? Why would he choose the stripes and the nails and the blood? Why would he choose that? For God so loved the world. What a savior. What a savior. You know who the world is? That's you. And that's me. Let's say that let's say that scripture together. For God so loved the world except this time let's let's um let's take out the world and let's Im- let's input your name. Can we do that? You ready? For God so loved Brett. Let's try one more time. For God so loved Brett. Wow. Now I want you to turn to someone. I know I know I make you uncomfortable. I want you to turn to someone. I want you to say the same thing, except I want you to say their name. And if you don't know their name, then you have to learn their name. <laughs> I'm going to say it to Pastor Phil. You guys ready? Everyone ready? Ready, Pastor Phil? So you have to say my name. I'm going to say your name. Here we go. For God so loved Pastor Phil. This Easter, I really believe that, that, the, that God wants us to remember that the only reason Jesus died on the cross was because he so loved you. You never have to question again, am I loved? All you have to do is look to the cross. Nobody killed Jesus, but he laid down his life because God loves you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. You know, I don't, um, I, I don't want to assume or presume that I, that I know everyone's heart here. And so I want to give everyone here an opportunity to respond to his love. So I'm just going to invite everyone, just wouldn't mind just bowing your head and closing your eyes. We're just going to have a moment just between you and the Lord. And, and uh, the reason we do that is just because we want to make sure everyone has this, this private moment and just a chance to, to just have this time with just, just you and the Lord. But if there's anyone here today and you've never actually responded to the gospel, you've never actually responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, You've never responded. You, you know the story of Jesus. You know the story of the cross and the empty tomb, but, but you personally have never responded to it. But you'd like to respond to it today. Then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way that we respond to it is we just receive that love. We just receive that gift of Jesus. 
We do that by inviting Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. And so if, if you're here today and you've never done that before, you've never invited Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, but you'd like to, then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second, and, and then we're going to pray together. So if that's you this morning, go ahead, raise your hand on the count of three. I want to know Jesus personally today. One, two, three. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's, if you've done that today for the first time, just pray this prayer with me, and you pray it to yourself, pray it to your heart, God, in, your, in your heart. God knows your heart. God, I just thank you. We just thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son. We thank you for providing a way out of our sin and providing a way to come to relationship with you. And I want to do that now. I want to come into relationship with God. And so I invite Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all of my my mistakes, my sins, all the things I've done, said, and thought wrong. And I want to live my life for you, Lord. I want to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, hallelujah. I'm just going to invite our, our worship team up and and so what we always like to do is end our service with one more song. This just gives us a chance to worship God some more. How many of you think that God's worthy of a little bit more worship? Okay. And then um, it's also an opportunity, though, to, um, to respond more in your heart to whatever the Holy Spirit, whatever Jesus is talking to you about today. And our prayer team, I'm going to invite our prayer team up at this time as well. Our prayer team is going to be at the front. If you'd like prayer... Please come and receive prayer today as well.